Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and today we are going to talk about five ways you can build relationships and rapport faster as a trainer or coach. So before we jump in, just want to say I hope you're having an amazing week, a great day. And this is a topic I'm very excited to talk about here today because, you know, I think nowadays there's a lot of lip service and there's a lot of cliches in our industry about soft skills and about creating culture and building rapport. And I'm not here to tell you that those things aren't important. In fact, I'm doing an entire podcast about why they are important. But what I hear is a lot of these just kind of empty sayings and people are just regurgitating the same things over and over. And I think what we need to talk about is, number one, why is it important to build relationships and build rapport? But number two, how do you actually do it? Don't tell me what you do. Tell me how you do it. And it reminds me of a conversation that Joe Ken and I have had numerous times over the years where, you know, a young coach comes up to us and they're, you know, reciting, this is my thoughts on speed training, or this is my thoughts on powerlifting. And they'll go on and on and on for a while and, you know, Coach House and I'll sit there and we'll look at each other and we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's great. You just recited Charlie Francis or you just recited Louis Simmons. I don't want to know what they know. I already know that too. I read that book or I saw that that DVD. Tell me what you think or tell me what you know. And so today I'm going to talk to you about what I know about building relationships and building rapport. And if you know nothing about my background, the first basically six years of my professional career were spent in what I would describe as uncomfortable environments. I wasn't in your typical weight room. I was for the first three years in a one-on-one rehab type setting. So I had no rehabilitation background whatsoever. I was basically learning on the fly. And here I am dealing with people that are having knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, and I'm trying to get them healthy. For the three years immediately after that, I worked in a one-on-one in-home personal training environment. So now it's not just uncomfortable because it's, it's one-on-one and you've got to you know find things to talk about and you have to build a relationship with somebody that you have seemingly nothing in common with, but you're in that person's home, right? So it's like their home turf. You are a stranger in their home. So while that may look from the outside looking in as a negative, you know, looking back, that was a massive positive for me. That uncomfortability in the environment made me a better trainer and coach. And not just from the X's and O's perspective of, you know, this person has this equipment or doesn't have that equipment or this person has this limitation. No, it made me a better coach because I was forced to create and forge relationships with people I had little in common with. So here's a fact. and You may not like it, but it is a fact. You can be the best X's and O's guy or girl on the planet. The best with the X's and O's. You can know, you know, triple block periodization and triphasic training and, you know, how you want to layer all of your elements into a program. But if you can't build relationships and rapport, you will never be as successful as you could be. And it comes back to a podcast that I did a while back with my good friend Steve Calarco, aka the best dressed man in fitness. But he talked about this concept of ACE. And ACE is something that I just keep coming back to. ACE stands for adherence, consistency, and effort. If you build strong relationships, if you build rapport with your clients and athletes, you will develop ACE. And this is the secret sauce, adherence, consistency, effort. If your clients, your athletes give you this every time they're in the gym, 
you will absolutely positively have more success. So without any further ado, here are the five things that we're going to cover, and then we'll dive into each one in a little bit more depth. Number one, you got to find your own unique coaching style. Number two, you need to say, I don't know more often. Number three, do some work before the work. And trust me, I will clarify on that point. Number four, you got to be able to show empathy. And number five, you have to find ways to get them results. So five agenda items on the docket today. Let's go ahead and jump in with number one, find your own unique coaching style. And this was tough for me early on, I think for a lot of reasons. I don't know if I necessarily had a a poor self-image, but I definitely was not confident as a coach when I first walked into that athletic weight room at Ball State, definitely not as an intern. You know, I am literally maybe a half step above the, the chalk that's laying on the floor in the weight room. And I was surrounded by really strong individual personalities as well. So Wade Russell was the head strength coach at the time. And Wade was just a massive human being, good looking dude, 6'4", 6'5". I think he played tight end maybe for a little while with like the Miami Dolphins. I mean, this guy just oozed charisma. And so, you know, he had a certain personality, a certain flair. Justin Cecil, who was a guy that I grew up with, started the master's program with, coached side by side with for years. You know, he had just this very kind of aggressive, outgoing personality in a good way, right? But he was kind of brash. And so that worked for him. He was a strong kid too. Like I think he took maybe second at collegiate nationals in powerlifting. So strong kid, strong personality. Matt Winning, another guy that we've had on this podcast. If you know anything about Matt, I mean, he is quite the character and he is one of a kind. So we had all these different personalities and I was struggling really hard to find my own unique coaching personality. So actually, while I wanted to be in a Division I setting coming out of college, going into rehab actually helped me. It actually helped me because being kind of by myself allowed me to forge my own unique personality, my own unique style of communication and interacting with my clients and my athletes. So it really set the stage for everything that I did later on. You know, there's times when I look negatively upon that time, but man, it it afforded me a lot of opportunities and it really kind of gave me time to grow and evolve as a coach. So it's natural early on or initially to take on a personality similar to your mentor or maybe someone that you look up to, especially if you're an intern. It only makes sense. You're going to kind of gravitate to the person that is above you and you take on certain elements of their personality. But I would also say if you take that beyond that initial period, maybe beyond that first two to three months, it becomes really awkward because you're not being authentic to yourself, who you are as a human being and as a coach. So if you want to do a self-assessment, I think this is really critical. And this is where, especially if you're a young coach, you got to start to figure this out for yourself. But I would ask you a couple questions. What makes you unique, first of all? And, and there's a couple things. Maybe it's your energy and your enthusiasm. We all know that really high energy guy or gal, they're just like buzzing all day. They're the person that's up at 5 a.m. and they've still got the same energy level at 8 p.m. They're just lights out. They're on all the time. So maybe it's energy and enthusiasm. Maybe it's your intelligence. Maybe you are just wicked smart, as they say on the East Coast. I don't know if I said that right, but you know, you're just one of these super smart individuals and you can like kind of calculate and see a step or two ahead 
So maybe it's your intelligence, and that's something that you can use. You're a little bit more intellectual and cerebral on how you approach coaching. Maybe it's your personality and charm. Some people just got the juice when it comes to people. So, hey, use that to your advantage, just like you would if you were courting somebody that you are attracted to, right? Use that same personality and charm in a non-sexual way to, you know, kind of flirt, for lack of a better term, with your clients and with your athletes. I'm reminded of my good friend and former IFAST coach, Jay Chung. And I mean, he did an amazing presentation years ago at our physical prep summit that was called Flirt With Your Clients. And man, it was so good because he talked about, you know, the same things that you would do to attract someone that you are attracted to and to make them attracted to you would be, hey man, do those same things just in a non-sexual manner with your clients, with your athletes, because it'll attract them to you. Last but not least, your sense of humor or playfulness. You know, this is something that I like to do a lot. You know, I'd like to think at least in a one-on-one or small group environment, I'm, I'm fun. I got a good sense of humor. I don't take myself too seriously. But we know that all athletes are different. We know every single person that comes to us is different with regards to how they move, their body shape, their body structure, their personality, their work ethic. Every person that we work with is different. But sometimes, I think even more importantly, we have to recognize that every coach is different as well. So it's really important here. We're not baking cookies. There's not like one set recipe that you follow that works every single time. We're developing coaches. So you got to figure out the recipe that works best for you. And trust me, the second you figure out your secret sauce, your mojo, whatever you know, personality traits are strongest to you, and you start to infuse that in your coaching, you are going to level up 10x where you are currently as a coach. So that's number one. Find your own unique coaching style. Number two, this is a huge one, my friend, huge one. Say, I don't know more often. And this is hard because when we first start out as a trainer or coach, we always want to prove our worth or value. We want to show people, man, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at this. Like, I belong here. And I get that. I think we all go through that phase. And it's important because we know, most importantly, we care. Like, that's the biggest thing. Early on, we know that we care. That's why we coach. That's why we train people, because we care about people. But here's the thing. We don't always have the knowledge or the experience to back it up early on. And that's okay, too. It's great that you care. I love that. But just know and understand that, you know, until you've done this for a little while, you don't have all the answers. In fact, I'm 20 years in. I recognize every day I don't have all the answers. Bill Hartman, he's been doing this like 31 years now. I think he would tell you on any given day he doesn't have all the answers. So one of the best things that you can do as a trainer or as a coach is to tell the client or athlete that you're working with, in all honesty, you don't know. So if they ask you a question, don't make something up. Don't recite something you saw on the internet. If you don't have a great answer for them and you're not confident in that answer, just tell them flat out, you know what? I don't know. And then you follow it up with, but I'll find out. And this is where having a great network is key. So I'm reminded again of Joe Kin, a guy that has obviously been influential on my development as a coach, but really as a human being as well, because I think House just has such a great perspective on coaching, how the game works, being a better coach and human being. But Joe tells me about 
or Joe told me this story years ago when he was getting started with the Panthers. You know, guy comes up to him and says, hey, you know, X, Y, Z, what do you think? And Joe was just flat out honest. I mean, who knows how long he'd been doing this, 25 years, 30 years at this point? He just said, you know what? I don't know, but I'm going to find out for you. And Joe has an amazing network, so he reached out to two or three people. And by the end of the day, he texts the guy with an answer. And the dude was like, man, respect, number one, for saying you didn't know, and number two, for finding out for me. Because you talk about building relationship currency, you talk about building rapport. If you're honest enough to admit that you don't know something, but then you take the time and the effort to go and learn from somebody else, man, that says a lot about you as a human being and as a coach. So it's like a win-win here. Not only do you build that trust and rapport, but now you've just learned something along the way. And we talk about all the time about continuing education, constantly growing and evolving as a coach, and that's, that's how you learn. So another example would be like my kids, you know, if Cade says, oh, dad, what's five plus five? If I tell him, oh, it's 10, well, that's great. He writes down the answer and he got it right, but he didn't learn anything. Sometimes being active in that learning process and seeking out an answer, now you're more likely to retain that information as well. So here's what I would leave you with on that point. Saying I don't know is not a sign of weakness. Again, it's not a sign of weakness, but rather a sign of strength, of vulnerability, and humility. So be honest. If you don't know the answer to something, say, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. Perfect. Number three, do some work before the work. Now, this may not be applicable in all situations, and I'll be honest, it may be something that not all of you are interested in doing, and that's okay. But I'm going to give you an example. When I thought I was going to get the opportunity to work with Roy Hibbert back in the day, I basically watched him for the entire season. And and again, this was easy because number one, I'm into basketball. Number two, I was into the Pacers. He played for the Pacers. So I watched him the entire year. And especially as May rolled around and they're deep in the playoffs and Roussel is talking to to Bill and I, and he says, you know, I think this is going to happen. Okay, great. So now I'm watching every minute he's on the court in the playoffs. And it also helped. They were playing great. You know, they really challenged the heat that year. But I was constantly watching him. I was doing my homework. And it stays true to this day, you know, with the the guys and the gals that I'm working with now. I try and watch as much game film as I can to make sure that, you know, I know what this person's strengths and weaknesses are before they walk in the door. So the point here is simple. You got to be a little bit more proactive and do your research before someone ever walks in your door. And I realize If you work with the gin pop, this may be a little bit harder, but I'll give you two examples. If you work with athletes, what homework can you do before somebody comes into your gym? Number one, what sport do they play? This one's simple, right? Baseball, basketball, football, soccer, lacrosse, hockey, whatever they're into, figure it out. If possible, if you can find any film or if you can get them to send you film before, hey man, start to figure out, okay, what are their strengths? What do they do well? And Self-assessments are great when you ask them and you have that conversation, but you're the expert. You're the person they're coming to for advice and for a training program. So you determine what do you think their strengths are? What are their weaknesses? And then from there, it comes back to this idea of having a vision. Where can you help them grow? That's what most people want. Like, hey man, that's great. We're gonna improve your vertical jump. We're gonna decrease your 40 time, whatever the case may be. 
but have a vision for them and what they can become. Now, athletes, again, that's a little bit easier, right? Because you can get that information fairly quickly, you know, with the initial phone call, maybe you can get them to send you some video, that's easy. For the gen pop, it's a little bit more difficult. And if I'm gonna do something like this, any information that I try and get from them should be done after that initial touch point. So maybe they fill out a web form, maybe they fill out, or, or they call you on the phone, you have that initial consult on the phone. And before they come into your gym, this is when you're gonna try and do some of this stuff. So one thing you can do is go on Facebook or Instagram, try and learn something about them. And again, some of you may not be comfortable doing this, I totally get that. But again, if you wanna be proactive, if you want to really try and put your best foot forward, you know, it helps you to have some information about the person before they walk in the door. So maybe you see what they're into on Facebook or Instagram. Most importantly, try and learn about them as a human being. You know, do they have a family? Do they enjoy certain activities? You know, what are they excited about? What are they passionate about? Because this just fast tracks that process. Now you kind of have an idea of, oh, these are some topics that I might be able to bring up in our assessment or in our, you know, first training session. But if you try and get this idea of where they're starting from, then it's that much easier to, to have a plan, to have a vision of how you can help them achieve their goals. So again, some of you will be comfortable with that. Some of you may not. I totally get it. But these are ways that you can be more proactive. And again, I'm, I'm of the thought process, like I would rather be ahead of the curve versus behind it. You know, when I'm very reactive, that's when I'm stressed out and I'm anxious as a coach. So I'd rather take some time, do some front end labor, because I think ultimately it's going to pay off on the back end. And I'll leave you with this thought. There's a definite line between being a stalker and being proactive. But I think if you do this the right way, if you do it in an ethical and honest fashion and, and in an effort to help the client or athlete that wants to work with you, if your intent is to give them the best result, then this is coming from a great place. And I think it can be a very beneficial way to build rapport and to build a relationship faster. All right, so number four, whenever possible, do some work before the work. Number four, show more empathy. And this is something I know I talked about briefly in my Seven Big Mistakes podcast from a while back. But when I was growing up, I was consumed firstly by sports and then second by fitness. In fact, when I was in college, I planned like classes, especially in the summer in between my junior and senior year. I remember I planned everything around my workout. That was like the first thing on my daily schedule. Okay, okay. So I, this is when I work out. This is when I'll take classes. This is when I'll work. But it was all dictated by when I could work out that day. It, it, this continued. Like even when I took my first job, when I was in Fort Wayne, like it was great because the, the family that I worked for, they were super serious about powerlifting, which was great. So we planned basically our work days and our work schedule around powerlifting. So it was just this amazing setup. But it also put me in this very odd bubble because you know, just because this was true for me doesn't mean it's true for the rest of the world or the rest of the population. So as coaches and trainers, we live in this very skewed world because everything that we do revolves around fitness, whether it's our own workouts or the workouts of our clients and athletes, this is our life. It's what we do. So fitness is this major priority. It's a bedrock of everything that we do. Therefore, because it's so important to us, it's easy to assume that every single person that walks into our gym, it's their priority as well, or it's the first thing on their to-do list every day. 
when in most cases, quite frankly, it's just not. It may be the third, it may be the fifth, it could be the tenth thing, depending on the person and where they prioritize fitness in their life. So here is like a series of questions I would challenge you to ask yourself because we all have a client or athlete that we may struggle with. You know, sometimes I've heard them described as trigger clients. Sometimes I've heard them described as energy vampires. But I would challenge you to ask some of these questions. The next time you think, man, I'm just tired of training this person or this person's just not dedicated or they don't get it, go through this series. Number one, what could potentially be going on in their home life? What could be going on at home? Are they having marital or spousal issues? Are they having issues with their children? Maybe their parents, they're taking care of somebody else. What stuff could be going on at home that could be holding them back when they come in the gym? Maybe they're a student, okay? What could be going on in their school life? Are they stressed out and anxious about classes? Are they worried about getting into the college that they wanna to go to? Are they having peer group issues at school? Like, man, I hate to say it, it's a lot different than when I went 20 plus years ago. It's a lot different. And I hear about some of the things that go on in schools nowadays or on the school bus. Man, that can be a stressful environment for a young developing mind. Another one for an adult, what's going on in their work life? Are they worried about getting laid off? Are they under a stressful deadline? You know, we have accountants that work in our gym and we know, hey man, January through about April, that person, if we can get them on a maintenance program, that's a win for them. And we know come late April, early May, now we can start to push them again. So think about what could be going on at work. But the bottom line is this, if someone's feeling off or you don't feel like they're giving you 100% effort, start to think really deeply about what could be negatively influencing their performance in the gym. What could be holding them back? And then this is the really key point here. Don't just think about it, but put yourself in their shoes. Try and visualize how you would feel if you were going through that same scenario. And maybe you're just super resilient, right? Like, I get it. Maybe you're super resilient and it wouldn't phase you. But everybody deals and reacts with stressors differently. So if we can make it a goal to become more empathetic and to put ourselves in someone else's shoes, man, that can really deepen a relationship. Because now the communication that you have is different. You can empathize with them. You can understand where they're coming from. You can relate to them so much better. And if you can do that, man, man, now you can really forge a strong bond with another human being. Because that's what coaching is. It's forging bonds, forging relationships with other human beings. So you don't necessarily have to take on someone else's feelings or emotions, but putting yourself in their situation gives you that ability to empathize, relate, and create strong relationships and strong connections. And that's what coaching is all about. Number five, get them results. Now you may be thinking, well, this is an odd one, especially, you know, since it's the last point. Well, you know, we talk a lot about slow cooking. In fact, it's a topic that Matthew Ibrahim and I talked about in last week's episode, this concept of slow cooking. And it gets tossed around a lot these days. The first time I ever heard it, man, Joe Ken is getting a lot of cred this week, but Joe Ken talked about this concept of block zero and slow cooking his athletes when he was the NSCA state director for Kentucky years ago. Coach Ken invited me to come down, do a presentation. It was the first time we'd ever met in person. 
And so I very strongly remember his presentation had a very strong impact on me because here is a high level strength coach, a very strong human being. And he's talking about doing things the right way with your young athletes and slow cooking them and building movement patterns. So it was music to my ears. But here's the thing. Now this term slow cooking is just thrown around. Every coach says, oh yeah, I like to slow cook my athletes. And it's one of those things, it sounds great, but it's lip service to some degree, right? Because here's the thing, slow cooking is great, but if you're using that as basically a rationale for making coaching extremely slow or making the process agonizingly boring, I mean, I hate to tell you, athletes aren't going to stick with you all that long, right? Everybody has their limit. So somebody that's that's rehabbing an injury, you might be able to slow cook them for a long time, especially if they're older, like they just don't want to hurt anymore. They want to feel good. But if you got a 14-year-old and you are plate squatting them for four or five months, repeatedly trying to build this perfect squat pattern, hate to tell you, but man, that's not slow cooking anymore. You're just nitpicking and making the training process miserable. So I'm all for slow cooking. But at some point, my friend, you got to deliver the goods, right? So how can you do this? If you want to slow cook the process, you want to make sure you're building good movement patterns and you're laying a great foundation. Well, great. How can you give them some wins along the way? Here are some ideas. Train some muscles they want to train. You know, a lot of women, they want to train abs. They want to train posterior chain. Maybe they want to build a nice looking set of arms. Dudes, it's pecs, arms, abs. All right, so train the muscles they want to train. Give them some wins. Number two, find ways to make them sore. Again, I realize some people may not like hearing this, and I understand that delayed onset muscle soreness isn't the indicator of a great workout, but you know what? Sometimes if you leave them sore, they associate that with getting a good workout. They associate that with you knowing what you're doing. And right, wrong, or indifferent, you don't have to like it, but just know and understand that's their perspective. Number three, find safe ways to make them tired. If somebody comes into your gym and every day they're working at a level two, I hate to tell you, they're not going to stay at your gym all that long. So maybe there are times where they just want to feel challenged. They want to feel fatigued. That's okay. Find safe ways to do that. And also ways that are going to help push them towards their goals. Number four, improve whatever it is they want to get better at. Put a star by that one. Underline it. Write it down. Improve whatever it is that they want to get better at. So this is where coming back to that initial assessment, that initial phone call. What do they want to get out of training with you? Do they want to look more aesthetically pleasing? Do they want to shed body weight or body fat? Do they want to build muscle? Do they want to improve their vertical jump? And, you know, sometimes you can really slow cook somebody and hold them back if you're going to get the desired results. So here's a great example. Working with a kid last year, basketball player named Robert Johnson, stud athlete. I mean, this kid, he he was a great kid to work with and did everything that I asked. He questioned the process but always in a respectful way, just wanted to know more about what we did. And he was quiet. So at first I really thought he didn't like it. And he was coming off some some stuff with regards to his hips and his knees. So I really slow cooked it. You know, like everybody else is two kettlebell front squatting, they're going heavy. Rob, I mean, he was plate front squatting with his heels on a slant board because he needed some specific things done to get him out of pain. And the side benefit of this was I knew if I could make it more efficient, 
If I could help him direct force in a more appropriate manner, he would not only feel better, but he'd move better and he'd improve his performance. So this is a case where, yeah, I trained him for like six weeks. Was it slow cooked more than I would have probably liked? Yes, but it was necessary based on the situation. But here's the thing, my friend, I still gave him a result. Yeah, we plate squatted and yeah, we moved up to towards the end of the summer, like a 16 kilo kettlebell squat, like goblet squat. But at the end of that time period, he had an inch and a half to his vert and he didn't have any hip or knee pain. You got to deliver the goods. So at the end of the day, everyone wants to feel like they're making progress. I don't care who they are. Every single client and athlete you work with wants to feel like they are getting better. So slow cooking is fine. I'm not going to tell you don't do it. It's a firm part of my philosophy as well. And everything from the little kids that I work with up to the professional athletes that I train. Granted, the size and the scope and the nature of how we do things might be different. You know, with a pro athlete, we may slow cook over the course of an off season. You know, with a young athlete, a 12 year old that comes in, the slow cooking may be a two or three year process that we've laid out for them. But you have to find ways to sprinkle in fun things and you've got to make them feel like they're successful. You've got to find ways to have wins every single day. So my friend, that does it for our show today. Just to recap, our five ways that you can build better relationships and better rapport with your clients and athletes. Number one, find your own unique coaching style. This may be the most important point. You've got to find what makes you unique and then build that into how you coach and how you interact with your clients and athletes. Number two, say I don't know more often. It's okay. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign of humility. Admit when you don't know something and then seek out an answer for them. Number three, do some work before the work. Again, maybe not applicable in all situations or in all environments, but whenever possible, if you're proactive and you learn more about this athlete, this client, you learn more about what makes them tick and you start to have a vision for them before they walk in, it makes everything that you do after that point easier. Number four, show more empathy. Understand that fitness, strength and conditioning, physical preparation, whatever you want to call it, it's first on our list, but it's probably not first on theirs. Be okay with that. Start to understand what may be going on in their life that's holding them back so you can become not only a more empathetic coach, but a more empathetic human being. And then number five, get them results. Slow cooking is fine. We want to slow cook people. We want to do things the right way. We want to trust the process. But at the same time, if you're not delivering results, if you're not delivering small wins to your clients and athletes on an almost daily basis, chances are you're not going to get the adherence, you're not going to get the consistency, and you're not going to get the effort that you need to keep them around forever. So my friend, I hope this show was valuable for you. I enjoy the solo shows, try and sprinkle them in every now and then, especially in this case, because I was under the gun and and had a lot going on and needed to get a couple shows banged out. But if you enjoyed this show, I would truly appreciate it if you would share it with one fellow trainer or fellow coach, somebody that's in the trenches, they're doing good work every day, and they want to improve their ability to forge strong relationships and build rapport with their clients and athletes. So my friend, that does it for this week's show. Thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. Take care.